like to start out today by showing you an image and just ask what your initial reaction to that is. Of course, that is the Apple logo. And I'm sure that some of us see that and say, wow, those are my people, right? That is my technology tribe. I've got an iPhone or an iPad or an iMac, Apple TV, and we love everything about Apple. And then some of us are probably saying, well, you know, Apple, that's okay, but I'm more of a Microsoft person. I'm an Android person, and I like what Microsoft and Android allows me to do in the world. And so not trying to divide our nation any more than it already is, but just a, an exercise for us to think about that. But whatever we think about Apple, I think we all have to admit that they are a, a transforming kind of a story. Uh, they're a trillion-dollar business right now, but in the, in the earlier days of Apple, they almost went bankrupt. And Steve Jobs, Mr. Apple himself, who created the company, was fired. And so as we look back across the life of their story, there's been an incredible transformation from being nearly bankrupt, firing the Apple guy to rehiring him later, and now being one of the technology giants that leads the world. What a truly transformative story. And I wonder if, if you're like me sometimes that, you know, I wish that would be my story. You know, I mean, obviously, I'd like to go back to the 1980s and be able to buy Apple stock at that price and still have that today. But that's not what I'm talking about. Not like the rags to riches story, but to have a story like Apple where I could look back and say, I once was here, but now I'm here and I'm in a much better place. My life has changed for the better. My life has transformed. I've done a 180. I was in a bad spot one time in my life, and now I've gotten through that, and I've moved forward, and things are better. Have you ever wished that was your story? That if you're in a tough situation, you're in a tough spot, you're not sure how you're going to get out of that, that that, that could be your story one day, the story of transformation that, that Apple went through, that we could look back one day and say, wow, look how far I have come. Are you in need of a transforming story? And if so, you're in the right place because today we're going to talk about how that can really happen to everyday people just like you and me and not just trillion dollar businesses. Because I want to show you another image that's an even bigger transformation story. That, of course, is the image of the cross, the cross of Jesus. And I would just, again, ask you, what's your initial response when you see that image, that image of the cross of Jesus? For many of us, it is a, it's an image of hope. It's an image of love. It's an image of comfort. It's, it's an image that, that we feel good about because we have a relationship with Christ. We look at the cross, and it comforts us. It's something that we put on the walls of our homes. It's something that we wear around our necklaces or on our bracelets. We put it on the walls of our church. And, and so when we see that cross of Christ, we just love it. But we also need to remember that the cross, in its original uh, existence, when it first was you know, coming out, and it was not an image of hope. It was not an image of love, not an image that made us feel good. It was an image of terror. It was an image of death. It was an image of of defeat. Uh, and in the first century when it was used, it, it was a warning. The Roman Empire used it to, to nail people to that cross, to crucify them, to send a message. If, if you cross us, you break our laws, you mess with us, this is what's going to happen to you. And so people were 
beaten within an inch of their life, whipped and, and tortured, and then they had to carry the cross beam on their back through crowds so that they'd be publicly humiliated. And then they were nailed to that cross, their arms nailed to the, the cross beam, and then their legs nailed to the, to the uh, vertical beam that it was placed upon. And then they would, well, they would hang there. Right, naked in front of their loved ones who had to come and watch this. And there'd be crosses up and down roads, to, again, to send a message that you mess with the Roman government, this is what's going to happen to you. And as they, they were nailed to that cross and bleeding, then they would have a, a slow death. It could, it could take hours, it could take days, in which ultimately you would suffocate to death. And I can't think of anything worse, any kind of heinous thing that could happen to a person as the cross. And so as we think about the cross, you know, our warm, fuzzy feelings for that today were not originally in its original context. People who were on crosses paid a dear price. And so that's been a major transformation, right? This image of torture, this image of death, this image of brokenness and defeat now is the image of victory and life and hope and love. And so how did that image become so transformed? Well, today we're going to dive into the Bible, and I'm so excited that, as Pastor Lindsay said, we are in the season of Lent, and in our church, we're reading the New Testament together in this, this fun new way, and uh, today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's written by a, a man named Paul in the first century, and Paul was a pastor. He loved Jesus, and he started churches in the Mediterranean world, and he would start a church, move to another place, start another church, and when he was absent from his churches, he would write them letters to encourage them to answer their questions, and many of these letters were later collected and now make up most of the New Testament. So as you and I are reading through the New Testament together in this season of Lent as we approach Easter, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about God from Paul, and today is one of those stories that we're going to be reading from him. And he's writing to a church called Corinth. This is the letter, uh, his first letter to the Corinthian church. And Corinth is in modern-day Greece, and uh, it's a port city where ships come and go, a cosmopolitan place. People from all over the world are, are active in Corinth. You can think of it in Paul's day, kind of like a mini New York City, very cosmopolitan, happening place, a lot of trade, a lot of different types of people. So Paul has started the church in Corinth. He's gone away, and now he's writing to, to the church there. And uh, his heart is breaking a little bit because while he's been gone, the divided church has now kind of splintered. And there are divisions in the church in Corinth, in the Corinthian church. And, and, and some people are saying, you know what, we need to follow Paul. He's the one that started this church and we need to pay attention to what he said. And others are saying, well, no, we need to follow Peter. No, we need, we need to follow Apollos, this other teacher who's in our church. And, and so they were, they were fractured. In their thinking, kind of like at South Park Church, there'll be somebody saying, well, you know what? I stand with Pastor Kyle. He's the pastor, lead pastor of the church. I'm going to follow him. And others will say, no, no, no. We've got to follow Pastor Lindsay. She knows what exactly what's going on. She, she's heading the church in the right direction. And others would say, no, no, we need to follow Brad Reinhardt, right? He's the, he's the leader of our church leadership team, and we need to follow those 12 lay leaders. And so it becomes splintered. And Paul's writing to them and saying, hey, we're all on the same team we got to get back unified. we gotta, we got to get back to the main things. And so Paul is writing to them, encouraging them, calling out to them, saying, hey, look, we got to get unified again. And so this is where we pick up the story. Paul's writing, first letter to the Corinthians. Let's see where Paul encourages the Corinthians to be unified. Chapter, one, or chapter 2, verse 1. 
And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what Paul's saying is, don't worry about Paul, don't worry about Peter, don't worry about Apollos. Right? It's all about Jesus. Jesus is what unifies us. Jesus is who unifies us. Right? Jesus is Lord. And so my message to you in the beginning is my message to you now. I, I, I preach to you, I teach to you Jesus and Jesus crucified. Right? And from a 21st century perspective, we could be like, yeah, we're, we're down with that. Right? It's not about Kyle or Lindsay or Brad. Or, it's about Jesus. Right? We're here to serve Jesus Christ. And we, we celebrate the cross that, that Jesus you know, liberates us from so many things in the world. and give, He saves us through the cross. Right? But again, first century, you, you've got some people who are new to Christianity. You've got people who are probably not Christians who are, who are hearing this. And they're saying, you know what, we understand the message of unity. We understand the message of unity in Jesus, but why bring up the cross? Right? How is that a victory? How does that unify us? Right? Jesus died on the cross. Right? That, that is apparent defeat. Right? That, that is a symbol of terror. We're not terrorists. That's a symbol of death. We don't celebrate death. That's a symbol of torture. We're not about torture. So how does Christ crucified on a cross unify a church? Right? That's a good question in the first century. It's a good question because, again, that cross, the image of that cross has not yet been transformed as the way we understand it today. Right? How can a cross, this instrument of death and torture, unify a congregation? A few years ago, when we were still worshiping in our former campus before we built the, the new campus, uh, when people came in for worship one Sunday... It, we had the altar there, we had the, the organ there, we had the cross hanging up, and we had something in addition to that. Let me show you what that looks like. So we've got the pipe organ, we've got the cross of Jesus, we've got the altar. And here you can see something that doesn't usually appear in a church. That is an electric chair, right? We've got a, a, a close-up picture of that as well, right? It's an electric chair. We've got some people in our church who really love Halloween, and uh, as the Warner family, they let me borrow this kind of as a sermon prop for that Sunday. And what happened was we had a big tarp over that, the electric chair. I was preaching a similar message about what we're talking about, the power of the cross. And at the right moment in the message, kind of I pulled the tarp off, and then it was the big reveal, and there's an electric chair sitting there. And the whole idea was to shock people, to shock you, to say, you know what? Right? Sometimes we take the cross for granted. And we forget the price that Jesus paid on that, right? In its original context, right, it was a scandalous symbol, right? It's not something that people celebrated. It's not something that people put on their walls. It's not something that people wore around their necks, right? Can you imagine how, how weird it would be if I came in and had a necklace with a, like an electric chair on that? Right? It, it's, just, it's just weird. It's kind of sick, right? That's an instrument where people are electrocuted to death. It's not something that we celebrate, Right? That was the cross in the original context of the first century. We've got another picture here of our uh, church, our new building out front. If we can see that. Go to the next one. There it is. All right, so here is our cross on our new campus. It's lit up. It's in the rain. Just a beautiful picture there. And uh, we want the world to know that this is a Christian church. So we have a 72-foot tall cross on our building. Right? 
we're proud to be Christians. We're proud to follow Jesus, right? Our message is, is one that is centered in the cross. And we want everybody who drives by or sees a picture of our church to know that we follow Jesus. We love Jesus. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We want the world to know 72-foot-tall cross tells people that this is a church that follows Jesus. We are people who follow Jesus. But what if you were driving by uh, here in South Park by our campus or you saw it on our website, right, the picture of our building, and instead of a 72-foot-tall cross, you saw a 72-foot-tall assault rifle, right, uh, a, a weapon of death that, that have been used to shoot children in schools, that have been used to shoot people watching movies in movie theaters in America, right, a, a symbol of death. What if you drove by and instead of seeing a 72-foot cross, we had a 72-foot gallows with a huge noose hanging down from that, right? That's terrible. It's a terrible message. All that stuff with that symbolizes death and torture, right? That, that's not the image that we're going for. That's the image of the cross in the first century. So how can Paul say that's what unifies us? Well, let's go back and see what Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians. This time we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The, power, the message of the cross, the death and the destruction and the torture, is foolishness to those who don't yet know Jesus. But to those of us who are being saved by Jesus, it's the power of God. So yeah, in the original context, the cross was an instrument of death, an instrument of torture, an instrument of humiliation, an instrument of defeat. But God took that and he flipped it. Right? He changed it into an image of forgiveness, an image of hope, an image of resurrection power, right? Come out of the, out of the grave, right? We were singing that earlier today, right? And so God transforms that, right? So this image of foolishness becomes the power of God because this is what happens in the cross, right? We, all of us, all human beings are created in God's image, and that's very good. There's a lot of goodness inside of us. We also have the, the gift of freedom of choice. We have free will to do whatever it is that we want to do. And every one of us at some point in our lives makes bad decisions. We, we choose to do things that, that hurt God. We choose to do things that hurt other people. And we break relationships. And, and we do wrong things. And when we do that, there are certain consequences that come from that. When we do wrong things, we encounter guilt. And we encounter shame. We feel ashamed of the things that we've done. We also will die a physical death one day. We'll be cut off from life. And we'll spend eternity apart from God and apart from others in a place the Bible calls hell. It means separation from others, broken relationships. Right? And by the way, you don't have to die to experience hell. There's hell on earth. There are broken relationships. There's brokenness in our world. There's brokenness in our lives. Right? And, and so that, that's the death that, that the cross kind of reminds us of. And so Jesus doesn't want us to be like this. He doesn't want our relationships to be broken with God or with each other. And so that's why Jesus left heaven. And he came to the earth and he became a human being while still remaining God. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, to be crucified. 
And when he did, what happened was he took our guilt, he took our shame, he took our wrongdoing, which the Bible calls sin, he took our consequences of death, he took our consequences of hell, and he defeated them all when he took it upon himself, when he allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross. And when he came back to life in the resurrection, right, he gives us victory. He saves us from sin and death and hell and guilt and shame. When he comes back to life in the resurrection, when he comes out of that grave, again, as, as Cole and the man so awesomely sang for us, right, when he does that, now we have forgiveness. Now we have joy. Now we have peace. Now we live life to the full in this earth, right, in, in these bodies, and we will live forever, life everlasting in the kingdom of heaven. Right? So what God does on the cross, what Jesus does on the cross is, is God transforms it. He takes an image of death and makes it into life, an image of brokenness and, and makes it into wholeness, an image of weakness and says that in that is strength. Right? And to those of us who are perishing, who don't yet know God, it seems foolish. Your God died on a cross, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God saves us. God forgives us. God takes away our guilt and our shame and gives us joy and peace and life to the full and life everlasting. And God does that through the most unlikely of sources, a cross, an instrument of death and torture and defeat. And he turns it, he transforms it into the image of forgiveness and life to the full and hope, right? God transforms this symbol right, into something entirely different. Right? Even bigger than the story of Apple rags to riches. Right? And, and that is good news. That's the power of the cross. And today, right, we read that from a man named Paul who knows this story better than anybody. But before Paul was a Christian pastor and starting all these churches and writing the New Testament, he had a different name. His name was Saul. And Saul, he was a faithful Jewish religious person. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, and the early disciples were Jewish. And, and Christianity, following Jesus, came out of the Jewish religion. And, and when it did, Saul's like, no, 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 that's blasphemy. That's not the way things are supposed to be going. And so Saul used to help round up Christians and put them in the jail. He would round them up, make sure that some of them were even executed for their faith. Right? And so he was going against Jesus. He was going against the church until one day Jesus appeared to him on a road to Damascus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And he gave Saul a chance to, to turn around, right? to, to be transformed. And Saul did. And he surrendered to Jesus. He changed his name to Paul. And he became a pastor, and he started all the churches. He wrote these letters that became the New Testament. He even went to his own death for his faith, right? The Roman Empire ended up killing him because he was such a, a, a zealous person for Jesus, right? How can Saul become Paul? How can the cross become, move from a terror symbol to a symbol of life, right? Because the power of Jesus transforms, Right? And, and Paul knows that better than anyone. And, and so, right, maybe right now you're wondering, like, like, how does that affect me? Right? I'd love to be transformed. I'd love to have that, my story be different. I'd love to do the 180. I'd like for God to take me from here to there. Right? I, I'm, I understand the terror side of things. I understand the dark side of things. I need to, to be in the light. But, but I think I'm just too far from God. 
You don't know what I've done, Pastor Kyle. You don't know the thoughts that I have. You don't know some of the guilt and the shame that I have. I'm just too far away from God to be transformed like Saul was. I'm too far away to, to get a makeover like the cross did. Right? What, what do I have to look forward to? Well, this is what I think it is. I think it's our so what moment. You know, what's the point? What's the, what's the big idea? What's the takeaway today? This is, this is what I think God's saying to us through Paul today. Far away is close enough for the cross to change your life. Far away is close enough for the cross to save your life. Saul was far away from God, but God said, that's close enough for me to work through the cross and changed his life, right? Far away is close enough for the cross to change your life, right? Because of the cross, we can be transformed. Because of the cross, I'm transformed. Because of the cross, you can be transformed. Because of the cross, we are transformed. Right? God takes us from broken to whole. God takes us from dead to, to alive. God takes us from, from weakness into strength right? through the cross. Right? Far away from God is close enough for the cross to change your life. Right? I want you to think about this. Right? If God can transform the image of the cross from a symbol of being torture and death and defeat and humiliation and change that into an image of hope and life and resurrection, if, if God can take a man named Saul who's killing Christians and having them arrested and change him into a man who follows Jesus and starts churches and writes the Bible and is even brave enough to die for his faith, right? If God can do all of that, just imagine what God can do for you. You're never too far from God. You're never too far from God for God to get into your life and change it, right? We are people of transformation. Our story is transformation. One of our core values at this church is transformation. God meets us where we are and helps us become something more. God meets us where we are and helps us become someone better. God meets you where you are right now and helps you become something better. God is ready to transform your life. Far enough is close, far away is close enough, right, for the cross to change your life. Because of the cross, I am transformed. You can be transformed. We are transformed together right, because of the cross. So what does this look like, right? How do we apply this into our lives? This is what I would say to us today, right? Ask Jesus to change your life. Ask Jesus to change your life because that, that's, that's who Jesus is and what he does. He's in the life-transforming business. Ask Jesus to change your life. And, and maybe that, that's a big lifestyle change to say, I don't follow God, right? But I'm tired of living with a lot of guilt. I'm tired of living with a lot of shame. I, I'm tired of living in, in hell on earth, and I'm ready to start right, receiving life to the full. I'd love to be forgiven. I'd love to have joy and peace. And so, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross, right? Change my life. I want to leave the life without you behind. I want to live life to the full. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to live life everlasting, right? Ask Jesus to change your life, and he'll do it, right? We can receive Jesus right now. Or maybe we, we are a follower of Jesus, and, and we need to ask Jesus to change a part of our life. There's something that's holding us back from living life to the full, right? Maybe for you, that's anger. Maybe for you, that's greed. Maybe for you, that's your ego or your pride. 
All right, let me ask you this question. What needs to die in your life so that you can begin living life to the full? What needs to die in your life? What needs to stop? What needs to end so that you can start living life to the full that Jesus offers you? Ask Jesus to change it. Ask Jesus to change your life. And he might do it instantaneously. Right? Or he might say, let's work on this together. Let me lead you to someone that you need to talk to. Maybe you need to, to find a counselor or someone to help you battle something that you're doing. But Jesus will help you change your life. What needs to die in you so that you can start living life to the full? Right? God meets us where we are, helps us become something more. Far away is close enough for the cross to change your life. Right? Far away is close enough for the cross to change your life. Ask Jesus to change your life. And what if we all did this? What if we all ask Jesus to change our lives, to change something inside of us that's broken, to move us from brokenness to wholeness, to move us from death to life? What if, what if we all did that? And I think, I think our world will be a better place. We're struggling in America right now. We're, we're divided down the middle of our country on just about every topic or idea that, that there is. And and we know that 2020 was a rough year. We know that 2021 has, has been a difficult start. And, and we want our, our world to be better. We want our nation to be better. We want our state to be better. We want our city to be better. We want South Park to be better. We want our families to be better. We want ourselves to be better. Right? And we have all these ideas, and some of them are really good. But for me, I think it boils down to, right, if we want to transform our culture, we want to transform our nation, we want to transform our families, right, it all starts on our knees at the cross. Right? It's, it's for us bowing down to Jesus and saying, Jesus, change me. Change my heart. Change my ego. Change my attitude. We want the world to be a better place, our nation to be a better place. It all starts at the cross. Right? God, meet me where I am. Help me become something more. Help me to become something better. I want to be like you, Jesus. If we all do that, our city will change. Our community will change. Our nation will change. Our world will change. Your life will change because Jesus is in the life transformation process, right? And so this is God's good news for us today. So how about it, brothers and sisters? Are you ready for a change? Are you ready for transformation? Are you ready to move from here to there? Do you, do you want to look back in your life and say, wow, there are some really a lot of things broken in my life, but now look where God has taken me. This can be your story. This can be your good news today. Far away is close enough for the cross to change your life. Ask Jesus to change your life. Because of the cross, we can be transformed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for the cross. Right, that just sounds mind-boggling, God, that an instrument of torture and de death and defeat, that we could be grateful for that. We, we're not grateful that Jesus had to suffer on the cross. We're not grateful that he had to pay such a huge price, Lord. We, that, that makes us hurt. That gives us sorrow. But we're grateful, God, that you could transform that, Lord, into something bigger and something better. That now we see the cross and we see hope. Now we see the cross, we see new life. Now we see the cross and we see wholeness. Now we see the cross as a way forward. And so God, in our lives where we're broken, we just bring that brokenness to you today, God, and we lay it at your feet. God, take it from us. God, transform our lives. Help us to become the people that you created us to be.
take our guilt and take our shame. Forgive us, Lord, and give us joy and peace and life to the full, God. Lord, transform us. Thank you that we're never too far away from you. Far away is close enough for you to change our lives through the cross. Jesus, come in and change our lives. God, thank you that because of the cross, we are transformed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.